Bing bong. I am back with a special edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast where I'm joined by the world famous chat. I'm joined by Joey and Lynn from the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, SB from the Woke Antidote, and Bitcoin Gandalf, the GOAT. We get into a bunch of stuff. We get into a lot of macro topics. We talk about Bitcoin. And the Bitcoin price, how it's ripping, even though the dollar is ripping as well. Uh, we get into the overall macro environment as it relates to the Bitcoin space. A lot about Bitcoin miners uh, selling off on their balance sheets, selling Bitcoin. We talk about lettuce hands, Elon, and that sort of thing. Then we get into Jack Maulers. Surprisingly, we have a lot of Jack Maulers bears in this. So uh, be sure to tune in and listen on that then we get into Three Arrows Capital Scam, uh, how they're essentially funding a lot of these shitcoin casinos and scamming them left and right. Then we get into a surprise twist about Bukele and El Salvador, how that is going and the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender. And then lastly, we wrap up with Celsius. Celsius lawyers say that the users gave up their legal rights to put our, their legal rights to Bitcoin by putting it on exchange. So we all give our opinions and insights on that and lending platforms as a whole. And so, as always, this is not financial advice. Anything me and my guests here from the chat say is not financial advice and should not be taken as that. It is strictly our opinion and our opinion and our opinion, that's where it ends. Not financial advice, not financial advice, not financial advice. So be sure to tune in as we had a high quality rip. Whoosh. Bing bong. We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And I have an absolute banger. Sorry for my dog. He's freaking out right now. He's ready and hyped for this show. And so we have the world famous for my chat. dog. He's freaking out right now. He's ready and hyped uh -oh. for this show. Got the background noise, but then, uh, yeah, so now we're, I'm going to start bringing up people. We got Joey Len from the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. We got Bitcoin Gandalf, and we got SB from the Woke Antidote. First, I'm going to bring up Joey. I'm bringing up Joey without Len first. Joey, how you doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty good, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful day to be doing the show. I'm in the basement, nice and cool down here. It's about 50 fucking degrees outside up here in uh, the Great White North, so nice to cool off and talk a little BTC with the boys. What's that in American degrees? I don't know. A hundred more. Dang it's got to be. It's got to be like ninety something over there in uh, in in Fahrenheit. I don't know. A story for another time. All I care about is this number behind me on this side. Sorry, still working on the camera thing. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, all right. Before I bring up Len, anything bad to say about him? Uh, you know, before? Len. Yeah, I, I would never. Len is uh, my conciliary and uh, really, you know, carries water where uh, where I'm unable to. He's he's a great co-host, great friend. All right, perfect. Now let's bring the Canadian. That's so the Canadian way. There, no, never, never an ill word. Len, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm now wonderful. It's 31 Celsius, around 88 Fahrenheit. So for you American folk out there, it's not too bad over here. Some people may say it's too warm. For me, it never is. And I've been to India. I've been to hot places in the world. Never experienced too warm. So bring it on, man. Bring it on. There we go. So how are things up in Canada? You guys just had that big old uh, Bitcoin meetup set up by the plate licking pleb. Tell us a little bit how that went and how the uh, Canadian Bitcoin scene is going on. 
man yeah i'll 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 take it first it it was incredible man like what a what a scene what a meetup you guys are lucky up there i think you're like you've been going to the nashville meetup for how long now at least a few uh few months ish half a year i know your former colleague uh, whose name we won't mention here on the show he's lurking in the chat you guys both have been to a bunch of meetups in the area you're you're lucky man up here in canada we're just kind of getting off the ground and they announced on saturday that uh we're gonna have a bitcoin conference of our own starting next year in june so Look for more information on that. We'll probably be there. And uh, if it's in the summer, I'm not going to wear sleeves for that either, Dan. So uh, get, get ready. Get ready. Joey, I don't think I've ever seen you on a stream with this with sleeves on. And, uh, you know, you're missing your world-famous headband today. I know. I, I, know. I, I couldn't find it. I went to go get it before, and I'm, I have no idea where it is. I moved all my shit down here like a week ago. So <laughs> It's still in transition, so he'll find it eventually. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's transitory, right? Um, so... Yeah, I'm going to put you guys down and I'm going to bring up the next guest real quick to introduce him. We got Bitcoin Gandalf. Gandalf, how are we doing today? What's up, man? Very, very good. How are you? I'm doing well. How are things over in... Uh, shit, where is even Gandalf located these days? Uh, I don't want to... Middle Earth. Yeah, Middle Earth. Actually, no, I took the boat to the Undying Lands with uh, Frodo and the elves at the end of the Return of the King. So that's where I am now. Yeah, there we go. All right, perfect. Well, uh, how are things in uh, Middle Earth? And uh, yeah, did you switch uh, the ring for Bitcoin these days? Like, what what is that all about? Of course. Although, is the ring, here's the thing, is the ring fiat or is the ring Bitcoin? That's the question I'm asking That's the you. question. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the $21 million question or 21 million question, right? Yeah. There we go. All right, now I'm going to drop you down and bring in the last guest. All right, and then we got SB closing in here from the Woke Antidote. SB, how are you doing today? I am great. I'm so pumped for this. All right. How, all right. Now let's bring everybody back up. <laughs> I'm, transitioning. I'm, I'm new to this whole StreamYard thing with multiple guests. So I'm working. Did you have to cheat it on the intro there? I was going to introduce the terminal as well. Oh, you're gonna all right. Then what's going on on the terminal? All right, this is already a mess. The the terminal is with us today, so I will I will use it if we need it. There we go. All right, perfect. All right, so I'm bringing you guys all together. We all got the group chat. We got the weekly spaces. So if you're not if you haven't been following us on Twitter, you definitely should do that. We all got our uh, handles, you know, in the show notes. Or if you're watching this on YouTube and the video version, you can see it in our handles for the most part. And uh, yeah, you should join us in our spaces on Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. I've been there every week. I know uh, now that the boys in the cold weather climate, uh, you know, are kind of taking it easy on content in the summer. But, you know, me, I always grind and put out the content for the folks. So um, we're coming together for a Bitcoin mastermind. Uh, So there's been a lot that's been going on where some might say we're in a bear market. Some people in this chat have uh, slowed their DCA or completely turned it off. I'm not going to name any names, but it's already been doxxed. So uh, we we, and then the price immediately shot up. So we'll get into that later. But guys, let's go one by one. How are you guys feeling uh, as far as like the Bitcoin bear market goes overall market sentiment? Let's start with SB and then go to Joey, Bitcoin, Gandalf, and then Len to close this out. Yeah, on Bitcoin specifically, I feel fine because this is a terrible year for risk assets. The 60-40 portfolio, which has been the retirement plan in America for the last few decades, 
that's gotten torched. It's down 20% this year. So the Fed's tightening on a on an economy that's probably going to be going into a recession, or I think we're already in a recession. And look, Bitcoin's going to sell off. It's not an asset that is all the way there yet. I think everybody knows that we're so early in the adoption cycle if this actually is going to do what we think it is. So if it's down a little bit, it's down. So, you know, keep on fiat mining, keep your DCA up, maybe increase your DCA potentially, you know, do some buys and we're fine. You mean, uh, just to clarify, you should definitely not decrease your DCA (laughs) at this point, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm not, yeah. (laughs) Some other people might have more experience with that in the chat. Not financial advice, of course. Uh, I don't know who we're referring to here specifically, but Joey- I have no, listen, I have no comments on that, okay? I did I did slow down my DCA about, I don't know, what was that? Six weeks ago, maybe? Five weeks ago, something like that? I, I regret it, yeah. It, it stings a bit. I, you know, what, what can I say? I, even even uh, guys as nice and, you know, close to perfect as me are going to make mistakes once in a while. But as far as, like, the sentiment- I'm with I'm with SB man. Like he knows a lot more about this stuff than any of us. And I I just think like if I look across the the street here, um, the, everything is on fire. It's not just Bitcoin's house; it's on fire. There's there's you know fires all over the place. Snap just reported their earnings, and the stock dropped another twenty five percent, which is like an enormous enormous uh, sell off. Looks to be dragging down a bunch of the social media companies with it. So, I mean, you look across at risk assets, and the other thing I would say is. These there's like you know really one or two competing narratives with Bitcoin right now. One is that Ethereum is the better store of value; it's more deflationary, blah blah. We all know that's garbage. But the the other one I think that TradFi likes to push is that it's not the same uh, quality, steadfast, stalwart pillar asset that gold is. What's gold doing? Is gold even above seventeen twenty five? Like I I haven't looked in the last few weeks, but like it's probably not. It's not above seventeen fifty or seventeen seventy five. It's 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 sitting at where you know the same place it was before COVID. 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. Uh, I'm not worried, man. It feels good. And it looks like, uh, and we'll probably talk about this uh, during the show, but like, it, I'm pretty sure the Fed's going to pivot in the next eight months, nine months, something like that. I'm, I'm not worried at all. I'm happy to, to buy at these prices. Happy to buy, but slow down the DCA. All right, Gandalf, <laughs> let's go, buddy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with the rest of the guys. I think all of our... Um, we all have low time preference or a very, very long-term outlooks on when it comes to Bitcoin. I personally just look at it as I do, you know, I just look at it as money. So I try to make more money than I spend and I, and I keep my savings in Bitcoin uh, and I don't pay too much attention to what the, the fiat value of it is uh, on a day-to-day basis, other than for entertainment purposes. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for the day where I can exchange my Bitcoin for goods and services, not for, not for fiat. Well, I mean, it seems like, too, it's kind of at least trending in that direction. I know in some places in the States and in some places, you know, around, uh, you know, globally, well, like El Salvador, of course, you know, it's legal tender. But I know it's increasing in the States. I don't know how it is in Canada, but I know some businesses are starting to accept it. Uh, I had Michael Atwood from Oshi. I know there's like places in Austin, Nashville and Miami specifically that you can get like, you know, little things like tacos and, uh, you know, coffee or what have you. But I think uh, more people are going to start trending that way in the next couple of years. So I, I definitely see that that's that's 
going to happen probably sooner rather than later. And I don't know. I don't want to put out like predictions or anything like that. But uh, I would say probably in the next few years, uh, we'll, we'll probably see that number start to increase more and more. Um, so keep on stacking Gandalf and don't slow down that DCA like Joey. Yeah. And look, for the for the people that look at Bitcoin as an investment, go have a look at you know, all the high growth tech stocks and how wrecked they all are. Bitcoin's down 49% year to date, but there you can find plenty of stocks uh, in the high growth tech sector that are down the same or more. The whole, I mean, QQQ itself is down 25%. S&P is down 16%, but you're not, that the, the upside on those things is nowhere near close to the potential upside of Bitcoin. So uh, the, the risk reward, if you're looking at it as an investment versus other, uh, other investments is is still really good as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think that kind of comes back to the time preference with the volatility. You know, if you have a longer time preference, you can kind of stomach that volatility, whether it goes up and down, because you kind of see when you zoom out, um, you know, if you're looking at fiat terms, number seems to go up. So, Lynn, why don't you round us out here? What do you got for us on market sentiment? More bullish than ever before, man. Even though the price sits today... Um, I don't know what, 23,000, it's still, in my eyes, it's still at an all-time high. And, you know, last year in November, we were at 69,000. My feelings now about Bitcoin is much stronger, and I'm way more bullish about it right now. The reason being is because looking at everything, oh, Joey mentioned the fact that everything is burning around us. We're not the only house on fire. Everything is on fire right now. And SB was talking about the 60-40 split being just uh, something that does, doesn't work anymore. I feel bad for a lot of these investment funds that are trying to make up for that 40% of bonds because they have to be very, very ambitious and, and start really like rolling the dice to try to make that 60% make up for that lack of 40. That's really not doing much for them. And one thing that does concern me, though, through this whole thing, like I, I do say I'm very bullish, but I still always talk about Bitcoin miners. as something that's near and dear to me. And the ones that are that have played with leverage, the one that have played a little bit with that, those are the ones that concern me. I still think in the end, some of those may capitulate, but the ones that do remain are going to be much more stronger because they had stronger foundations to begin with, and they'll be able to pick up a lot of these on the cheap. And another thing that makes me bullish too, and I forget the name of this company, but they signed a two-year sponsorship with the Bitcoin conference. If anybody else remembers the name of this company, it's an energy company. Um, the fact that we have an energy company now getting involved in sponsoring a Bitcoin conference, this is the shit that we have to get involved with. This is the stuff that's really going to drive Bitcoin adoption moving forward. This is the stuff that's going to bring in a whole bunch of new liquidity and make things just pump up even higher. But then we also have the building on top of the network itself, making the whole user experience better and easier for people to use it and spend money or spend Bitcoin for anything. There's there's so many bullish things that we could talk about, but I'm going to leave it to you to pinpoint where we want to go to next brandon so it's up to you yeah i think on that note too i think we're, we're kind of in an interesting time right because you brought up uh you know bitcoin miners and a lot of these companies that have been you know using leverage and kind of riding the highs of the bull market and you know we've even seen uh, a company like tesla it's kind of been circulating around uh you know bitcoin twitter elon in the last earnings call sold a lot of their Bitcoin. And so uh, I think it was like 75% of their total total Bitcoin holdings. And it's not just Tesla. I think it's a lot of these other, you know, Bitcoin miners and other companies are kind of selling off or, you know, having layoffs. Um, and we'll get into, you know, some of the Three Arrows capital scandal and stuff like that a little bit later as well. 
but it seems like a lot of these companies that are kind of in in uh, you know the Bitcoin and, and crypto space to a lesser extent um, are getting really hurt and hammered hard because of this volatility. Now, um, I guess I'll, I'll hand it off to you, Len, since you brought it up. How do you kind of see this playing out with a lot of these miners and uh, you know some of these companies that? You know, have assets like Bitcoin on their balance sheet, which, uh, you know, obviously is is very volatile, to say the least. Um, and so, you know, when they're when it comes to times like this, when they need dollars, it seems like a lot of these uh, companies are either selling off, uh, selling off their Bitcoin, having some lettuce hands or like laying off employees. So how do you kind of see this for miners? Do you think that They'll come out better on the other side, or um, you know, do you think like a few of these companies are going to fail and drop off? It really all depends with the price of Bitcoin and if it's going to re- remain stagnant for some time. If it pumps in the next little while, everybody's going to be in a great position. But the longer it stays where it is right now, the ones that have large amounts of debt or have leveraged themselves to get to this position, they're the ones that are going to have to find creative ways to get themselves out of this hole. And just today, we got news that the biggest Bitcoin miner, Core Scientific, has decided to raise $100 million. How? Well, they're going to be selling shares and through um, through dilution. So this is one of the ways that Bitcoin miners are going to have to deal with business moving forward because they can only sell so much Bitcoin until their reserves turn to zero and they, they don't want to sell their ASICs. So they have very little options available to them. The ones that are that are uh, have stound financials, the ones that haven't leveraged, they don't have much debt. They're the ones that are going to be able to, to just pick up these on a cheap should they start selling off and cutting up their business. And I, I you know, I, I see a few of them that may potentially fall if this thing remains, the price of Bitcoin remains where it is right now. Core Scientific, I'm going to use that one as an example. Although it is the biggest, it's that doesn't mean it's not going to fall. We've seen massive companies fall to the wayside back in 2008. And this could be something similar to that. I don't want to say shades of 2008. I say that a lot these days, but I, I think that a lot of these miners, um, they've leveraged themselves too much, hoping the price of Bitcoin continue, continually goes up. And it's not the case. You have this drop down of $45,000. We're experiencing that right now. And it's been stuck here at this 20-ish thousand level. I feel bad for these companies, but the ones that have money, they're the ones that are going to come out on top. And there's a few of them that do have it. Uh, Neptune Digital comes to mind. Uh, Sato Technologies is another one. There's a lot of smaller ones that just have a lot of potential out there. And in the end, the Bitcoin miners, the publicly traded Bitcoin miners, I think only make up around 25% of the overall hash rate. So it is a big thing, but it's not the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. And I actually, uh, you know, I think Gandalf sent this in the chat, but Jay, and I don't know how to sell, say his last name, but Mellerud, I want to say, M-E-L-L-E-R-U-D on Twitter has been posting a lot of great content and threads on there about like Bitcoin miners and their balance sheets. Uh, so I think that's definitely something to kind of keep track as far as it goes, the you know greater overall Bitcoin mining space and some of these public companies. But SB, I'm going to toss it to you. So what do you think about like Tesla and, you know, and some of these uh, other Bitcoin miners and and their balance sheets, like kind of how they're they've been structured, and uh, you know may, maybe a lot of these gro- growth companies going forward in you know potential economic downturn or I mean I guess recession, which we can almost confirm that we're in at this point. Yeah, I I would like to see them being smarter. Obviously, I think we all would about when you're actually selling your Bitcoin. I think this is just disastrous that 
they're selling at the bottom uh, to keep on operating. So I think a, a simplistic strategy that they could use, you could do it sort of similar to MicroStrategy where they had their equity offering. They, they had a, the ability to sell equity anytime they wanted to. They took advantage of that during the bull market. Now what MicroStrategy was doing was going back around and buying Bitcoin. But if you're a Bitcoin miner, sell the equity and invest that rather than buying Bitcoin and rather than kind of leveraging yourself too far in case of a price drop, keep cash in the balance sheet. I don't think cash in the balance sheet is a huge deal. Um, plenty of companies do it. In the group chat, we were talking about how a lot of the semiconductor companies out there, like Intel has a lot of debt and they have a lot of cash. They have maybe 30 billion of debt and cash. So they, they have a lot of that out there, but they also have a lot of liquidity in case there's downtimes. And so a lot of the companies in traditional finance that are very cyclical, like a Micron, for example, um, memory semiconductor company, so even more cyclical than typical semiconductor companies, they have is they have tons of cash because they understand that they're going to need that capacity and liquidity when times get tough. So I understand if you're a Bitcoin miner, if the bull market's ripping, uh, if you sell equity, it's going to take your stock way down. I think I remember Marathon one time announced they were going to sell equity, I think maybe their stock was 75 and it went down to low 50s when they did it. So I do understand that. But there's there's an advantage into having liquidity when the market tanks, as SBF is proving um, with all of what he's doing. That's massive. So if you can set yourself up, you don't have to go to the extreme where you have a balance sheet that's like way too much cash, but you don't have to go to the other extreme where you need to sell your Bitcoin at 20K because you have 10 to 15% interest rate loans that are going to be called because you don't have enough collateral in Bitcoin. There's a there's a balance between the two. Traditional financial companies do that. I think the Bitcoin miners can do that. In terms of Tesla briefly, Elon, total joke. He doesn't even he doesn't understand Bitcoin. So I don't want that guy being able to influence the price. And he even said that he might buy back again later. So yeah, if he wants to buy back again, he can. But otherwise I don't I don't want to hear about that guy at Bitcoin anymore. Yeah, I agree there. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's kind of interesting because he, he claims like, you know, on, on Elon, he claims that he doesn't pump and dump. But then, you know, he dumped his uh, he dumped his Bitcoin, 75 percent of Tesla's holdings. And, uh, you know, it seems like the logical reasoning was to, uh, you know, report that Tesla had positive earnings this quarter uh, to kind of help the stock price, it seems. Um, you know, obviously it, it might've been a loss in the Bitcoin as far as like, you know, what he bought it and sold it at. But I think that, you know, looking at the numbers and everything like that, that's kind of the reason why, uh, also the claim that he didn't sell any of his doge, I think is kind of hilarious as well, but, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, well, brief, briefly, the official claim that he said was that they wanted more liquidity because China was in, was shutting down because of the virus. The problem with that is they have $18 billion of cash. So I'm not Tesla. I'm not a Tesla Q guy. I think there's other people out there that, that would know the Tesla balance sheet better than me. But if they have $18 billion of cash, that just sounds like an excuse to me. But people listening, if they have a, a deeper knowledge of the Tesla balance sheet, let us know. Yeah, I agree. I agree right there. So, Joey, let's let's hear what you got to say on all these growth companies and Tesla, and then we'll round it out with uh, Gandalf. What, what is there really to say about Tesla that hasn't been said already? This guy, like SP said, like Len said, he doesn't understand Bitcoin. Uh, he got into it and then 
for for a guy who seems so keen to ignore the woke minority on Twitter, he caved immediately to the energy fudsters. It, almost immediately. Like in, in it was in under a year that he said they weren't going to accept Bitcoin for cars anymore. And I think also said that they weren't planning on buying anymore as well because they decided that this uh, mining process was taking up too much or using too much too many fossil fuels and was detrimental to the environmental health of the planet and wanted to see Bitcoin get to 50% uh, renewables, you know, things of this nature that, that we've all heard many times over the over the years. And then he sells 75% of his stack at, I think, a 10% haircut. I think he, his average price is like 31. He sold it for an average of 28, I'm pretty sure, uh, if, I, if I read those filings correctly. So you got that. And then on top of that, like he, his, his free cash flow, like I don't, I don't know about the 18 billion, but if you add, like always, okay, well, any good grifter knows how to take advantage of easy government money. And he's got two, um, or he's got, he's got, you know, one that just seems to keep on giving and it's this carbon credits thing without the carbon credits and the Bitcoin sale, he ends up with negative free cash flows. That's really all there is to it. You can't, you can't say that, you know, if you want to know what kind of guy, uh, what kind of CEO Elon is, all you have to do is go back over the last, I don't know, eight quarters of earnings calls and listen to him talk about the cyber truck. It's always a year and a half away. It's, it's like uh, when the Raptors drafted, uh, what was that guy's name? Bruno Caboclo. He's two years away from being two years away. He's still two years away. Every time you talk about the guy, he's still 22 years old and still two years away, no matter how much time has gone by. It's like that with the Cybertruck. It's going to be like that with all the stuff this guy this guy does. And I'm not saying he's a you know bad entrepreneur, but as far as the way he runs that business, the Bitcoin sale is not surprising. The, on the growth side, one thing that um, you know, Len and I have been talking about a little bit on our, on our show is the miners that are leveraged on the equipment as well as on the Bitcoin, uh, which is another avenue where you're vulnerable during big downturns. Everyone knows that that equipment becomes uh, a little less desirable during downturns, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing that people, I think, have to think about as far as like, you know, capital deployment in Bitcoin, you're seeing now, I think, another downward difficulty adjustment, which tells you that miners are not coming online, even as the price is getting lower and the difficulty has come down and made it easier to, to get those block rewards. I don't know what to make about that. I'd be curious to hear what, what you think, maybe Gandalf, since you're closer to that than the rest of us. But I, I was surprised to hear that with all the conviction I seem to see online, there's a lack of new firepower coming on when... Uh, Long term, this has got to be a good spot for miners to get in if they believe in the price. Uh, I think, yeah, there's a couple of things with um, with miners. I think this particular difficulty adjustment may have been affected by the uh, by the miners powering down in Texas. Um, they're curtailing just to, to because I think there's yeah there's just too much demand on the grid and they have those agreements. So they that may have affected the difficulty adjustment. Um, the latest one anyway, because it is it is a big one. I think it's the biggest one. And I think it's the biggest one since the China uh, mining crackdown. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. We're, I think every, miners in general around the world are in a tough spot. You know, energy prices are going up. So it's not like electricity is getting any cheaper. It's it's uh, one of the biggest uh, blockages is just getting getting power and infrastructure to hook up the miners. Um I think there, there's quite a lot of machines just sitting around in warehouses, not plugged in uh, because there's no infrastructure to plug them in at the moment. So um, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting to see where the hash rate ends at the ends this year. Um, my estimate was 300 exahash. Uh, but let's see. We'll have to see. Um, Marathon is one particular. I just want to, I don't mean to interrupt that. No, no, no. 
they're sitting on a lot of ASICs that are just simply not plugged in. And it was due to a storm that um, wiped out their facility in Hardin. Shoot, is it? Uh, I forget which but the city's name is Hardin. Um, and now they're trying to relocate that. And it's going to take up to a year, 12 months before all that's moved. And that equates to around 20 exahash that's going to be relocated. That's a lot. So I mean, Marathon has the Marathon has the XPs coming, right? 199,000 XPs. And they, well, I'm not sure if this, it's on order. I know that they've lost a lot on their hardened location and yeah, that, yeah. that wiped it out. Now it's down to like 0.5 exahash per second. They're mining. But I mean, just- I mean, if it's going to take them a year to find space to to hook those up, they also have an additional 199,000 new machines. I think they just started taking delivery of them in July. It's like 10,000 a month for however many months or something like that. Uh, assuming that that buy order is still there, because remember that's they borrowed nine hundred million or they borrowed a billion dollars or whatever it was, uh, like peak bull market and and made the biggest ever order of ASICs. And they're um, only worth like five hundred million the market cap. So it's uh... Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been surprised. Like, I don't think we can say they're smart money because like literally everyone that you know, I guess the the general convention was that these people know what they're doing. Like, ultra long the top. And got wrecked, <laughs> or, or like, or or you know, Smash bought the top and then had to sell the bottom because they needed to, yeah, pay for financing or whatever. Even if it's not mark to market leverage, it's still like a leverage with collateralized by assets that are still correlated to the Bitcoin price, like ASICs or like your shares or whatever. The thing is that you know, ideally, these companies would be like they'd be raising loads of money right now to buy Bitcoin and buy ASICs when they're cheap. But right now, nobody's going to give you the kind of money and the terms that you can get during the bull market. So it's understandable that all these companies do this at the bull market because they can get loads of money and they can get relatively attractive um, uh, terms. I I don't know how much uh, like appetite there would be by the people uh, lending them money if these companies like raised all the cash during the bull market but didn't buy then, just held on and and bought later when it's not a bull market but it seems like that we're incapable of telling that we're in like a roaring bull market or that we're not going any higher in the moment in hindsight it's super easy to point at like haha how did we are not all sell 69k and then buy again at 20 we could have all like tripled the size of our stacks right it's so easy to say that um so i think the the timeless principles apply like uh make less than you spend stack sats and don't leverage don't do anything that will make you a forced seller at the at the bottom and you it's very very hard or impossible to time the market if sue and kyle can't do it no one can yeah i totally hear you gandalf and i think about marathon they did that 900 million dollar raise i think it was a it was a convertible debt raise so they kind of followed what microstrategy did but they could have easily raised significant equity we had microstrategy out there raising a billion dollars of equity by selling and that w- that was very easily taken in by the market so i think these miners could have done that and yet yeah, t- to your point the problem is that when when the bull market's riding high you think it's going higher and thus you, it's a race to get that hash power online so you don't want to be left behind saying oh let's save this for a rainy day we need to be competing aggressively right now so that's where i think that you really need to have that balance of let's maybe not be the most aggressive out of the miners right now because we can really take advantage of this later on um, if things do come crashing down. So yeah, I I totally hear you. It is very easy in hindsight to criticize these companies, but I think at least after this 
uh, cycle. Let's get a little bit more liquidity next time. The big miners have a, another role to play in that they can they add value by adding hash to the security profile of the network. And I, that's one thing I think when, when I think about whether or not the asset is maturing, to me, if, if it was really you know in sort of a vertical maturity curve, people would understand that the more hash comes online, the better the price should be. It should be a higher price because you're getting more security. But we're not there yet. And I think the miners know that. I'm surprised there hasn't been more of an attempt especially by the publicly traded miners to convey that information to the average investor, both in their stocks and in their, uh, and the underlying Bitcoin asset itself. It seems to me like if, if there was some maturity in the space, everyone would get that and would look at hash as a, as a precursor to price, but they don't, it's, you know, they move in, they move in tangent, but neither moves with the other, it seems, uh, at least not yet. Well, ha hash rate is up only. As is yeah. Bitcoin price over a long enough time frame, but hash yeah, rate is yeah, yeah. more up only. Well, let's talk about Bitcoin price a little bit. I know we, we always joke around in the chat not to talk about price, but it has been kind of ripping the past week. So, uh, you know, with market sentiment, uh, we actually just had the ECB just announce their first raise in, um, I think, the past 11 years. And they're they're doing it uh, 50 basis points. <laughs> Um, Bitcoin is up about a little over 12% in the past week. Uh, so it seems like it's kind of coming back. I also saw, you know, a little bit, uh, uh some stock market tweets of like Tesla and Nvidia up, uh, for the past seven days. And that hasn't happened in quite some time. So I guess we, we kind of went over like the Bitcoin market sentiment, but do you guys think just overall things are kind of turning around? Uh, or do you think like, you know, this just might be kind of a blip in a radar and maybe just, uh, you know, initial bump up and, and we still got a, a long ways to go back down. What do you mean by turning around? Do you mean like the economy turning around? Cause that's a no, but I think there's a chance the fed pivots and we, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. I forget now, Elen, but like we, we oftentimes I see on Twitter, you know, the first rate cut, um, SB, like you talk about what the terminal is telling you as far as what the market's pricing in for the first cut, Q1 2023. Um, and, and I think like if the first cut is Q1 2023, even if it's Q2 2023, let's say the first time the fed goes 50 or 25 instead of 75, the market's going to go apeshit. It's going to go completely gangbusters. Bitcoin, all the risk stuff is going to go nuts because everyone knows what the next step is. Right. And then the Fed's in, in a, even more of a pickle than they're in now. As far as like whether the economy is going to recover to like a healthy state, I, I don't know how you guys feel, but like I feel like we're never going to get to a healthy economy in this system now. It's too far gone. I, I just don't see a way in, unless there's like, a, you know, can we say great reset on this channel? Will you be demonetized and censored? I don't know. But like unless there's some kind of monetary reset, what's the plan to get out of this? We don't have one. These guys don't have one. Christine Lagarde and Powell, like, these guys are dinosaurs, man. They, they, they have no idea what the, what the struggles are going to look like in 15, 20, 30 years. Um, and it seems to me they have, they've had a hard time uh, reading the landscape right now as well. It's, it's not a good situation. I don't, I don't see a way out. We yeah. don't, we don't, I don't think we know what a healthy economy is. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I agree. I mean, right. So when, when Bitcoin kind of started, right, in 2008, it was in the economic downturn. And then, you know, since like maybe 2012 to about early 2020, we were just kind of roaring up. Um, and that's when, you know, Bitcoin was going through its up and down. So uh, other than the, you know, the, the brief COVID crash before, you know, all that uh, 
monetary easing and, and the, all that money, money printing happened, we didn't really see like a, a dramatic downturn. And I feel like, you know, the Fed has just kind of been kicking the can down the road, um, whether they're going to raise rates and keep them raised. Who knows? I, I think, you know, Joey, you're probably right that the, eventually they're going to, you know, have to cut rates back. And that might be as early as even next year. And they'll, they'll just might aggressively hike earlier this year and or the rest of this year and then, you know, cut it back next year. I don't, I don't really know, but um, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how Bitcoin responds in that environment. And uh, SB, I'd like to hear like, you know, your points on this stuff, like kind of how you see it uh, playing out, uh, you know, what the terminal is saying um, and uh, yeah. What, what is everything else pricing in? I, I have got the terminal up. It's making an appearance oh, fuck. here. Just mute, just mute them. Enough I, of this terminal talk from this guy. The terminal is here. Um, so, you know, the, the plebs listening can get, get a little terminal information from me. And yeah, we got a cut in February right now. This is what we're looking at. The first cut in February. We got three hikes next meeting in July. Next week, uh, two and a half in September. One in November. Um, less A half one in December and then yeah, February going to be cutting. So we'll see, but I think that's, it's very easy from that to see how it really would take one bond um, move one day, one day of bonds moving to get that back into 22. But yeah, for your broader point, I do think, I think this is either the last cycle or the second to last. And I really think that 64 portfolio just completely um, crashing this year is really instructive because that whether Americans wanted this or not, the 60-40 portfolio is what the retirement plan for them is. So like collectively as a society, putting your assets in that portfolio is retirement um, for everyone in America. You work, you put your assets in there. And the concept of that is that when the economy is doing well, stocks do well because earnings increase and people want to be invested in the stock market. And then you have your bonds because when the economy doesn't do well, bonds are viewed as the safe haven asset and the Fed is going to take rates down, which means bonds go up. The problem is that when you're at that lower end of bonds, and we've gone from, you think, several decades, we've gone from 15, 20% interest rates on bonds to zero. And so what that's going to do is when, unless you keep going negative, that 40% of your portfolio that gained so much over the last 40 years, it's not going to gain anymore and it's probably actually going to lose. So the end of that fiat system might be when we hit 0% rates, and we're just going to have to see this unfold over the next couple of decades of what does the market look like with very minimal GDP growth or maybe even no GDP growth for a while. Um, we can't stimulate it because if we do, we're going to have higher inflation. You want to talk about other themes, all of the outsourcing and all of the manufacturing we gave all over the world. Um, that's coming back on shore and that's going to be more expensive if we keep having these ridiculous ESG policies energy is going to be a lot more expensive. So we're in this bizarre situation where inflation is going to be making bonds go down in price, but we're going to be in a recession or a depression. And so you're just going to be earning so much less real. You're going to be losing so much money in real terms under this system for the foreseeable future. And it's going to crush everybody. It's starting in 2022. Maybe there's going to be some faint recovery, but yeah, this system's cooked and I, you know, luckily there's Bitcoin, but it, the problem is that it's not like you can snap your fingers, go from point A to B. We have this amazing Bitcoin standard economy where, you know, we're, we're living in this amazing world. It's not going to happen. So it could be rocky 
for everybody, even including Bitcoiners, over the next decade plus. SB, you and the other uh, terminally ill, which is my new term for you and your ilk, uh, do you guys think about at all what where the market would have bottomed if passive flows weren't sort of as mature as they are today? I think about that a lot. I kind of I tried to follow some of Mike Green's stuff. I think that's what he's known for, right? About like how passive uh, passive investing is basically completely perverted price discovery uh in the in the big markets do you guys talk about that is that something that comes up once in a while because i i wonder without the passive flows without pension funds buying some of this stuff like where would that market bottom during something like covid or even right now where people can kind of see the writing on the wall yeah people definitely talk about that as the market has to be held up because there's so much buying power so that definitely gets some play but as an example um, i was recently hearing about how there's tons of money on the sidelines with junk bonds. So I think every, like everybody knows every every bond um, has gotten crushed, but junk bonds have high coupons. So if you're an investor in them and you're holding them, you get a bunch of cash in from the coupons and then typically people go out and reinvest them. Well, that's not happening this year because people just haven't wanted to be in risk. So at a certain point, that should be a floor for these assets. So the fact that we are down 15 to 20%, even with that supposed floor, it's just a terrible sign. So, yeah, to your point, it's discussed, but the fact that we've gone moved so quick, so fast, um, yeah, pe people's heads are spinning. And I would also say, like, as a final point, just the people in TradFi, like, no one knows what's going on. I mean, the people, you know, people my age, I'm on the, the younger side of a lot of people in TradFi, but even the people that have done this for decades, they say they've never seen a market like this, and particularly the volatility we're seeing in all asset classes all the time. They just they just have never seen that. So, you know, what 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 can you even do? And it's it's recession one day, it's really high inflation the other day. That's how you're trading on it. People, even the smartest people don't know what to do right now. Yeah. And I think the craziest part about all of this too is that, you know, when we're going through a lot of this, uh, I I hear it a lot from the Bitcoin bears is that uh, not only is like, you know, it's, it's heavy inflation, you know, potential re recession, but the U.S. dollar is kind of ripping compared to other fiat currencies globally. So that's where I think it's kind of interesting that we're seeing, although like, you know, the U.S. dollar is like technically ripping compared to other fiat currencies. We're also seeing Bitcoin kind of shoot up. And that's kind of my my uh, the, the point that I want to get across here and, and the point that I want to hear what you guys think about, you know, the overall dollar compared to the, the you know, other fiat currencies out there and how, you know, how do you kind of address these bears and uh, address, you know, some of these comments that, all right, well, we're in a downturn, Bitcoin's crashing, but the dollar's ripping um, because that's kind of what they see is that the Bitcoin's down, you know. Uh, what is it from from 69 to 23 or, or so what it is right now um so how are you guys kind of addressing that to the bears uh i'll leave that kind of open i know uh gandalf and and len haven't chimed in here in a bit so if you guys want to jump in real quick go for it okay well i just want to say about the price it's obviously it's recovered a little bit to 23k which and i guess we could celebrate because we were down at 18 i guess at one point not too long ago but I, I just want to touch back to what SB was talking about, that the terminal is right now predicting that there may be some cuts potentially by early to middle of next year. So to me, that goes to show that there's going to be a lot of a lot of pain that we're going to be experiencing over the next little while. 
because it's not just the markets itself, but it's also just the collateral damage that comes along with it. You're going to have a lot of people foreclosures. You're going to have a lot of people not being able to pay rent, no food that's going to be available because of uh, supply chain issues. And it's just going to be a real problem. So what we're experiencing right now, it's going to be a lot worse in the next year, two and three. And where we were a few years ago, we may never get to that point where we had everything at our fingertips. You order something and it lands in your doorstep within the same day. It's just, it was an incredible time to live in, but we've, unfortunately, we've just pissed it all away. And if you look at the price of Bitcoin too, obviously it's gone down quite a bit since it's all time high and it's recovered a little bit, but it's, I think there's still a very strong correlation between the price of Bitcoin to what is going on in traditional markets. And there's the price of Bitcoin now, it's, I'm sorry to say, but I, I have a feeling that it's going to be taking a little bit of a hit because as the traditional markets take a hit as well, it's going to drive down the price of Bitcoin. But ultimately, we are the base unit right now is U.S. dollar. Everything we're looking at the the um, Bitcoin, the price of Bitcoin, the base unit is in comparison to U.S. dollar. Eventually, we're going to change that. We're going to be looking at no longer U.S. dollars. How many sats is this this particular good or service going to cost? But it, you know, once we get to that point, then it's going to be a, a massive transition. But it's, it's going to be some time before we get to that Bitcoin standard. So that's going to be a lot of pain before we get there. But in the meantime, there's still a lot of demand for the U.S. dollar and globally. And so that's going to probably keep the price of the U.S. dollar somewhat afloat because there's always going to be demand. Well, not always. There's going to be demand for, for the next foreseeable future. But eventually it's going to collapse because they're just going to keep making this thing, printing it into infinity. It's just going to become worthless in the end. And we're just all going to be flocking towards Bitcoin. But it, just the next little while, it's going to be bad. Um, when I say while, it's not going to be months. It's going to be years, if not longer. So uh, it's just it's it's going to be a troubling time for a lot of people moving forward. Gandalf, what do you got on that? Yeah, I think it's tough because I think the old adage, which is uh, don't fight the Fed, just applies. Uh, they are there. Yeah, there's not really a free market for uh, for valuing things in because the Fed is sort of controlling. Yeah, they get to dictate what's on what the U.S. dollar is worth, kind of um, by setting interest rates. So until we have a uh, a freer market, that's why we're seeing all this vol volatility. Like you know, the Fed says X, market goes up. The Fed says Y, the market goes down. Like all the the, the true value of things is not changing that quickly, but the unit that we use to measure it. And the expectations around that unit, which is fiat or dollars, uh, that changes on a daily basis, depending on what Jay Powell says or what the 12 governors of the Fed decide in their meetings. So, yeah, this the is best no way to run an economy in a country. This is, it's incredible. I, can, I cannot believe that we're living in 2022 and this has been going on for 100 years, the Federal Reserve, and we still have this system. It's completely <laughs> ludicrous. If you step back a brief second, it's completely ludicrous. But the problem is that I'm in TradFi, and people have been doing this for decades, and the boomers are okay with it. They think this is how things should be run. So it's, I don't know whether, like, I, I don't know whether they have to go into retirement and we get a new crop of people in, but then even the new crop are pretty woke too. So I don't know what happens. The best thing is that like the it, it, think about like 30 years ago, okay? Then whenever that that first sort of 90s black monday, late 80s, you know, depression, recession, whatever you want to call it comes through. There's no Twitter, right? 
So you, you don't know, like how many people know at that time what the Federal Reserve is doing to fight that recession or to bring stocks back up? No one knows. Now, I mean, this chat is buzzing on that Wednesday every month when they announce what the CPI is. It's buzzing the day that Powell does the FOMC conference. It's always like all that stuff. We care about that. And we're not the only ones. Like we have curated feeds, obviously, but I think a lot of people care about that stuff now. I would say the best part, SB, to your point about like how insane it is, is that like Brainerd and Bostic get on the like get on TV literally the day after Powell and say the opposite thing all the time to try and like to try and bring back market expectations. The car that these guys are driving is just hitting one guardrail and then the other guardrail going down the mountain constantly. They're never just driving straight. They're always trying to oversteer and recover it. And it's it's disgusting that these guys are in charge of monetary policy and people's retirements, man. Like you only get one kick at the can on God's green earth. And you got to deal with this guy, you know, his hands shaking, holding the papers and people interpreting that as the market's going to crash. It's, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I just think like, it, like you said, Joey, it's a very bumpy road and like the market just kind of hangs on the feds word at all times and they try to overshoot. And then the next day it's down, you know, like one day if it's under expectations of what they're going to say, like, you know, the fed hikes. 50. Hey, by, the way, by the way, this is okay. This is another problem I have with this. These guys, they have all the metrics the day before the CPI print comes out. The Atlanta Fed, is it the Cleveland Fed or the Atlanta Fed SP that does the inflation now cast? Cleveland Fed, right? Oh, Cleveland, yeah. So Cleveland Fed does the inflation now cast. And you're telling me that the day before the fucking thing comes out, the Cleveland Fed is off by 10 or 20%. Like they're 20% off the total the day before. They come up with the projections and then they also tell you what the official number is. What the fuck is going on around here? No, does anyone else not think this is completely insane? I can't believe anyone buys this stuff. We need someone to infiltrate. We need a if Bitcoiner we, in the Fed. If only we knew a guy in TradFi who was already halfway there. I don't know. Anyone know? Hey, anyone know Judy anybody? Shelton was supposed to be that person. I don't know if she's necessarily a Bitcoiner, but she's sound money and she was pro gold, but she could have been in there. But to that point, when Judy Shelton uh, was up for nomination, all of the TradFi economists screeched and said, <laughs> this person is crazy she has views that are not mainstream they're completely out of left field we don't we don't even want one person like her in this and it just speaks to there's no ideological diversity in the fed it's all keynesians and mmtiers and they never admit they were wrong too and that's why i don't like the bloomberg opinion or some of these guys on twitter that said oh inflation was never going to be a problem and if we have if we have an inflation problem after the crisis then that means we succeeded and then they never admit that they were wrong. And now they say, oh, core, core inflation is 7% rather than 7.2% last month. We're going to be saved. So these people, it's, it's, not only the, it's not only that they've been, they have the wrong ideas. They don't admit they were wrong. And then we let them stay in power. So I just want, these people cannot run our country anymore. We need a new system. And, you know, some, some of the boomers aren't going to see it. That's fine they can get the fruits of the Bitcoin standard a couple of decades from now. Well, it's exactly. Go oh, sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I mean, it's exactly like we're, we're seeing too, like just on Joey's point, like Nancy Pelosi, right? It, it's been really famous and it's gone viral on Twitter mul multiple times that, 
her husband, quote unquote, has, uh, you know, Paloma and- Paul, call him Paloma Paul because he's a drunk. And anytime you refer to Nancy Pelosi, I want to hear you refer to her as the CEO of Double D Capital, okay? And that's not about the beach photo. It's about due diligence, which is what she does. Alleged. And that's how she's become the best trader of all time. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, she just bought a bunch of NVIDIA and coincidentally, it had seven green days in a row. So uh, look at her, best (laughs) trader of all time. She's she's got very good foresight. But I have to just go back to the Federal Reserve and what they're trying to do and what they've done. They failed. They failed monstrously what they're what they've tried to achieve they have failed to keep the u.s dollar with uh the value with it means since it's u.s sorry since the federal reserve's inception the u.s dollar has lost what around 95 percent, a little bit higher that's in that's insane like if i had that type of track record i would have been turfed a long time ago and we're still relying on these folks to ensure that we have strong economy and they can maintain the 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 strength of the dollar they failed miserably in that so we got to get rid of them, like SB said, because just they just failed. It, and we have how many years? Uh, Fifty-one years of living in a fiat environment in the United States. So we have more than a generation of people that don't know what it's like to live on a gold standard and they living in this fiat environment. And all of us here, and, and I'm the elder statesman in this chat, and even I have never lived in a non-fiat environment. So it's it, it's incredible to think how long we've sustained this facade but it's unsustainable you can't keep it alive forever eventually it has to collapse and here we are yeah exactly so let's move on from a little bit of this macro talk and let's go to a little bit of like bitcoin off-chain news um so we've had uh jack maulers recently went on the bloomberg uh, I believe it was like the Bloomberg Crypto Conference, as I want to want to say what it's called. But for those who don't know, Jack Mahler's CEO of Strike, big adv- advocate for Bitcoin to say the least. Um, so uh, he essentially went on there, and you know he had a lot of great sound bites. Uh, he explained why a proof of work system that Bitcoin uses is better than proof of stake, which every single altcoin uses is uh, you know basically. Proof of stakes a piece of shit is uh, in short of what what he said. And, you know, he brings a lot of passionate rants and energy to that. So did you guys check out that speech? What did you think about, uh, you know, Mahler's overall appearance on Bloomberg Crypto and, uh, you know, how that can affect the overall space going forward? Uh, Let's start it off with Gandalf and then go to Lynn, SB, and then Joey will close us. Yeah, I only saw um, the clip where he talked about proof of stake versus proof of work. Um, I didn't think he did a very good... I I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember thinking that it wasn't as great as everyone made it out to be. I think it was like for the echo chamber, it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, proof of work, whatever. But I don't think... Yeah, I think the kind of people that are going to be watching that, they're going to think like this is just some punk kid and like they didn't understand anything he was talking about. And yeah, maybe I think... Maybe a little bit of like know your audience would have been good from from him. Hey, where have we heard that sentiment before? Anyone? Has anyone here said that before? I feel like I've been saying that about Mallers for a long time. I can't wait to hear your take on this. I, I'm going last. I'm, oh, that's I'm good. Last. Do you agree? Do you agree I'm as well, Terry? Well, okay, I'll, okay I'll, listen, I'll go. I totally agree, Gandalf. I think that, that kid is bright as all hell, but he does not ever consider his audience. He is constantly uh, speaking in a way that's meant to uh, that's that's meant to land with the already converted Bitcoin crowd. Yeah, and he's he's got to start worrying about these other people that he's talking to. That to me is a wasted opportunity. 
it, the announcement that he made um, last summer in Miami about the what was it the the POS terminal the strike was going to be putting in in certain stores. Great, that's great tech. But no one who is worth their salt wants to hear some kid in an oversized shoulder cut T-shirt going, "Yo, yeah." It's it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. If you're trying to convert the people who you have not reached yet, you have to speak to them in a way that they understand and appreciate. This this other stuff's not going to fly. It's slowing down Bitcoin adoption, and I think that uh, I, I to be honest with you, I didn't watch the clip, Gandalf, and that's exactly why. What you just said is exactly why I didn't watch it, and I'm I'm glad to hear that uh, I I was I didn't waste my time with it because it's you know again super bright kid, obviously does a lot of good stuff for Bitcoin, but stop preaching to the converted. Um, get out of your comfort zone a little bit and prove that you can do all the things you claim that uh, Strike is doing. Well, exactly. And so I want to hammer that point home, too, because in that same speech where he was like, yo, you know, at Bitcoin Miami, he also announced that he's working with Senator Loomis uh, or Lummis, however you say her name, on a crypto bill. And then it comes out that it's more friendly to altcoins than it is to Bitcoin. And so, you know, I'm just saying almost like put your money where your mouth is. This guy's up here like trying to say that he's, you know, I mean, he's like one of the more public facing figures in Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, when he's actually working behind the scenes with senators where he can make a direct impact for Bitcoin, it seems like he's not even really hammering at home. So exactly like you're saying, Joey, it almost seems like he's hammering for those, uh, you know, already Bitcoin bulls. So uh, I I agree with you, you two, uh, you know, 100 percent. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of getting a little bit more tentative on strike as it is, too, because I think, you know, as it is great to help with lightning adoption, uh, you know, you can't even like it, it doesn't really allow you to use Bitcoin fully on the platform. Like you can send Bitcoin to people, but you can't really like receive it. I can't. I, I was working with this earlier this week to try to, you know, consolidate Bitcoin to pay for a conference ticket in Bitcoin. And I couldn't do it all on, on the strike app. And I was I was really frustrated with that, to be honest. And airing your grievances. Airing your grievances. I mean, it's like it, in all seriousness, it's like, all right, this guy is like one of the more public facing figures. He's Bitcoin Miami's, you know, headline guy at the very end, the very last speaker that everybody packs a room for. He says all these things that he's doing some great stuff and everybody's standing up, cheering, getting their phones out, doing all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, when it comes to brass tax, like how much is he really doing, um, you know, that that is like super positive. And then he'll only go on like, you know, the Peter McCormick show where I'm sure like, you know, his attorneys and everything kind of like groom all that stuff too. So, you know, I I think like at the end of the day, like he's a good ambassador and and things like that. But I, I think like, like you said, Joey and Gandalf, like, he's definitely got to change uh, some way of his approach to kind of help orange pill, because I don't think he's been very successful with that, but I'd be curious to hear what Len and uh, SB have to say about it. If, if you guys are, are the complete opposite or if you guys agree with us. No, I, I agree exactly what's been said. He, he seems like his target audience and the people that he appeals to it's, you know, between 18 to 30, I'm guessing it, that, that's the way it works. It's worked for him up until this particular point, but that's also symbolic of Bitcoin. That's really the, the main audience of Bitcoin up to this point. And now we just have to change and try to adopt the rest of the, of the world. The people that have a little bit more gray hairs on their head and have a little bit more experience with traditional finance and try to bring them into the world of Bitcoin. And with his spiel, the way he's talking right now and his actions, unfortunately, it's, it's not going to be 
um, conductive for bringing a lot of them into the Bitcoin world. The the uh, was it the Bloomberg talk or whatever it was you're talking about? If you if you listen to that the clip, and I did, I only listened to the few seconds or few minute clip. It was he was swearing in the clip. That's the one thing that that caught my attention. And the guy beside him like didn't flinch at all. But I, I would imagine that that those type of people that come on stage over there don't tend to swear. So there's, no, a, there's the, a time and place for everything. Sorry, sorry, Len. The guy at the end, the first thing he said was like, "Watch your language." Oh, I missed that part. Really? Yeah, right at right wow. at the end of the clip, like after he's gone on this long rant about proof of stake and proof of work and Bitcoin is amazing, the guy's like, "Well, you better watch your language, sir. We're like live on a, to a hundred countries or something." Yeah. So th that there you go. So it, it's just like I, I say, he's symbolic of Bitcoin, where it's still maturing, and even he as a as a person, as a businessman. He's in the mature, and hopefully he gets it before it's too late. But yeah, I'm, I'm not too impressed with his approach right now. And um, yeah, I, that's all. I'll leave it at that. I want to hear what SB has to say about this. Yeah, so I'll I'll take the uh, the perspective of I'm actually looking at the clip right now on the terminal. I've got it pulled up, and I'm seeing Joe's face. I knew it. I knew it. What? The terminal has a YouTube plugin. Like I thought that was just like a text. It's all blue on black, isn't it? So the, the, the reason that it was available in a hundred countries was because I think a hundred different countries have access to the terminal. So this was blasted all over the place, but. I'm looking at this here and I've got two takeaways. One is that why is he going to the Bloomberg crypto conference and acting like that? Act that way on the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, right? Act yeah. that way in this chat. I talk differently in this chat about anything but about Bitcoin specifically than I do with the traditional finance coworkers that I have. So know the audience. I think you guys totally nailed it. And then the, the second point is that this is something I, I personally, if I'm trying to grow the adoption, I'm looking to send um, information and media that I'm, I'm, I'm positive about, I feel good about, and that represents Bitcoin well, in my opinion. I would love to send a video like this to someone, and I can't because why, why would I be able to? Why would I send that to a 40, 50, 60-year-old that's been, been in the business for years? So that's frustrating. And then, you know, the other thing, too, I he did that talk about um, NCR. I think he had the that was at the last Bitcoin conference. You know, that's something where, you know, NCR, it's kind of this sleepy company. I think they're about to get bought by private equity. They could use some some growth, um, like maybe partner with them for a press release or record a video or something or get the the story of Bitcoin out to the investor base that's currently invested in NCR, some of these some of these traditional legacy payment companies. That could be interesting. That could be a way for people already interested in the payment space to take another step and look at Bitcoin. But to what everyone said, and I would echo it, it's just it's a little bit difficult when the information is being presented this way. So it's it's very excellent information. And I think all of us at one point or another have loved what he said. It's just know the audience and package it better. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And I think you guys all nailed it on the head. And I think, you know, overall, does it does the Bloomberg crypto like would, would Maulers have gone up there and probably changed a lot of the shitcoiners opinions? I don't know. I probably, you know, I probably give shit. Then why'd he go? Then why'd he go? Is it, no, no, is, no, this no, the, is, is this a, C, is this a CEO and founder that wastes his time? Like he, if he doesn't think he can change any opinions, why does he go? 
for he's his not, own ego. He's not like, even talking to shitcoiners on Bloomberg Crypto. He's talking to normies that don't understand what Bitcoin is in the first place. So even having a discussion about proof of work versus proof of stake is a waste of time because the people listening don't understand either of those things. They don't know what either of, of those things are. Talking about how proof of work like links the digital to the physical world, like they don't know they don't know what that means. So it's, it's just pointless. Like I think here you come and you hammer home like the two or three points that are like really easy to grasp about Bitcoin. The fact that it has like a limited supply, the fact that it has no, uh, no trusted third parties. It's not controlled by anyone. Like those are the kind of kinds of things that, that I think you hammer home to an audience like this, the, the payments thing is, or, you know, the, the ability to transfer value, um, without a third party intermediary, uh, is a great use case that he could have talked about here. And it's what his company does. Well, but, I mean, it, it, pre presumably it was longer than obviously it was longer than the four minute clip we all saw. So I don't know what else he talked about. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the like everyone nailed it. The, the message is like, know your audience. Yeah, exactly. And you guys are going to make me defend Mahler's here, which I don't really want to do. But he did talk about, uh, you know, his strike and sending value over. He kind of talked about the founding of strike and. I kind of blame the moderator for this because the moderator did ask him about the differences between proof of work and proof of stake. And that's where that, that, you know, that small clip it came and that passionate rant and what have you that kind of went viral on Bitcoin Twitter. And that's what catches all the headlines because everybody's kind of heard the, the strike and, and everything else, the story of that as well. Um, and he kind of went, I, 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 I think, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. I, I, I don't blame the moderator. The moderator is asking quite like Mallers has been in front of so many crowds, talked about so many different things. He knows what the question is going to be. If someone asks you about proof of work versus proof of stake. Okay. Little old Brandon, little old Gandalf, little SB, little old joy and Len. Do you not have like a, a, a transition point? to move to something a little simpler? Or can you not bring that question back to something a little simpler, strip it down a bit and, and really involve the other person, the, the crowd in the discussion in a way that makes sense to them? Everyone can do that. If Mallers can't do that, that's a Mallers problem, not a Bloomberg problem. He's 28 yeah, at, years old. I'm oh, sorry. Look he's, at almost 30, he's almost 30 years old. Come on, you yeah. can't do that. Of course you should be able to do that. Hey, I'll but, be yeah. 28 Saturday, so don't, don't rip on these young kids over here. <laughs> Sailor, Sailor's a master of doing this. When he, you can ask Sailor anything, and he will answer in a way that fits the narrative and the propaganda and the, the whatever point he's trying to sell you on. He will flip it to. He's like a politician, right? He won't answer the question if he doesn't want to, but he'll still give you an answer. You mentioned the, the name that I was going to bring up, Michael Sailor. So what I was uh, trying to say was uh, Jack Mahler's. He's twenty years old. He's a man. He's still learning. He's still trying to, to figure it out. But I'm not saying that I'm using his age as an excuse. It's just, unfortunately, he doesn't seem to be mature enough yet in front of an audience like that. Maybe he'll grow into it. But I think it's incumbent on us as Bitcoiners. We're pushing him or putting him in these positions. Like, for example, the Bitcoin conference. We collectively put him there. We could have picked somebody else to be in the main stage. We could have had Michael Saylor come on and talk about Bitcoin in an articulate way that could have resonated with so many more people. But unfortunately, we chose Jack Mahler's to go there. And, and right. he's going on stage with the Bloomberg people. We just have to pick the right people. That's Are they consulting you, Len, on... Uh... On the roster, <laughs> nobody consults next, me with hey, anything. Next year, Len, maybe, maybe, maybe you'll get a, a look next year at the roster at the Canadian Bitcoin Conference. Exactly, we can pick our own, uh, our own speakers. I'm the last guy you want to have consulting. Just to, <laughs> <laughs> I would give terrible advice.
<laughs> well, exactly on that point, though. I mean, Len's talking about age. Well, uh, we have three arrows capital. I assume these guys are a little bit older than than Mahler's, but uh, you know, the the documents and everything like that are kind of been circling around Twitter. Um, they've been kind of behind the demise of Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi. They've funded a lot of these shitcoin casinos. And now it's kind of been derailing. But I think one of the interesting points that I've seen uh, court documents circulating in Bitcoin Twitter is that Three Arrows Capital even purchased a $50 million yacht um, and put a down payment on that to kind of flex to make it look like that they had more money. And then uh, now they're even fleeing and their uh, attorneys aren't even able to really figure out where they're at. Um, So what do you guys think about all this, this capital like being raised and kind of, uh, you know, as much as like Bitcoiners want to say that, uh, you know, there's good money and everybody has like good ideas behind it. There's still like kind of scammers in this space. And how do you guys think that this three arrows capital scam uh, essentially makes the average normie look at the Bitcoin space, uh, you know, to, and to a lesser extent, the crypto space? I think that I don't think they were scamming. I think they were like, really really high on their own supply yeah Yeah. you know the 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 institutions lending them money knew what they were doing like you know the collateral there were there was collateral agreements or people were lending them uh money in exchange for crypto dick butt nft collaterals like if you're you know what you're you know you if you're a celsius or you're blockfi you're a genesis who let them 2.3 billion dollars like you know what you're doing you're you're also they're also high on the Sue and Kyle supply. Like I think everyone forgot that like you know that that you need like when you're l- making all these loans that you need some security against them and not just to like oh I trust it's a, it's cool Sue and Kyle are cool like we, 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 <laughs> they'll they 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 will they'll pay us back for sure and the thing is that Sue and Kyle are completely fine like that the personally they probably have tens of millions of dollars each that they've made. Uh, you know, or paid themselves over the last however many years they've been doing this. Uh, it's it's three arrows and all their their uh, creditors that are screwed. Did you see Sue and his wife both put in uh, claims against three arrows as yeah. uh, creditors? Like inc- incredibly, inc- just incredibly detached from reality. What I really want to know is to buy a $50 million, that was number, right? $50 million yacht? Yeah. To, yeah. to buy a $50 million yacht on like customer deposits I got to see the IG models these guys were trying to impress because that's uh-huh. a huge buy, man. I, I really got to know those. Like someone's got to feed me those ads. Uh, I, I got to check those out. Wow. First, Joey, with the mention of Double D Pelosi and then now this. Wow. Due diligence, Pelosi. Yeah. And, and her husband, Paloma Paul. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite bit about this whole thing is that it, it like – well, there's this idea floating around that it's the, it's the Tesla market dumping their Bitcoin last <laughs> quarter when it was like whatever it was, 29K that like really spiraled everything out of control. Uh, I think that would be hilarious. Get, get these glass node guys out of here, man. Like people talk about the Bitcoin price being low enough to flush out Ethereum and the shit coins. Add the glass node TA kids to that. I don't want to see any more of this stuff. I need, I need glass node to go under. I'm so sick of seeing these like crackpot theories. Like that one you're talking about, Gandalf, I saw like a 20 tweet thread yesterday from some account that I've never heard of with hundreds of retweets trying to make the connection between this like 28,000 uh, cell wall or whatever two months ago. Just complete insanity. Just everyone's just got to calm down. This thing is its own its own beast. It doesn't care about certain cells, certain buys. 
it, it does what it wants, man. It, it, you know, Elon's not, he's not moving the market um, at the time that he's selling. He might move it on in the announcement, but the time he's selling it, you know, much the same way MicroStrategy didn't move the market, he, he's not doing it either. Yeah, you'd think you'd think he's got like somebody he's selling like however many hundreds per minute or, you know, right. in a way that that's not like, oh, here's a 30,000 sell order. Yeah. <laughs> the more actually the most interesting on chain thing I've seen recently is have you did you guys see um, the Kobe tweets from April where he was like, I found a wallet that's buying yes. uh, tokens right before Coinbase list them. And now that the, guy's the Ethereum. Arrested. Yeah, the Ethereum wallet, right? Where he's buying right. He was buying all these different alts. What was it uh, 48 hours, 24 hours before the Coinbase listing? And and there, were, and there was an arrest today. Who was the arrest? It was a guy who works at Coinbase and his brother and like some, and his cousin. <laughs> oh. so his cousin and the brother were getting the tip-offs from him and bu doing the buying. The thing so, is, like, apparently these wallets had been ID'd. Like people had found them before Kobe tweeted this. And Kobe was making the point that like, you know, uh, people who are really plugged into the space could have figured out like these guys are obviously getting trading on insider info if i just also trade when they you know if i just keep a you, you can set you can easily like code an alert to an ethereum wallet anytime they do anything you get a, a an alert and then you go and buy you know you could have a hundred people copy trading them uh yeah so it's interesting and and obviously like it's coinbase's fault uh you know I'm feeling better and better about my Coinbase position every day talking to you guys. So the, <laughs> these two guys, I just don't want to harp too much on them. But what happened here when they were buying up stuff just before um, it was listed on Coinbase, the SEC was the one that filed charges against these two gentlemen, which leads me to believe then what they were selling or what they were dealing with were securities. So it would be somebody else, I would assume, that would be charging them with something. But the fact that the SEC is doing it makes me believe everything that was that they were touching is considered a security. So this might have some large and wide-reaching uh, implications with other crap coins. I don't know if I can say the word. Okay, I swear, Brandon or I don't. Know. Yeah, why not? Check coins. Check coins. Already dropped fuck already. So. Sorry. <laughs> 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 I said, fuck shit, bitch. Guys, know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> the three arrows garbage. Like Looking at this in hindsight, it's easy to see. Man, this thing was just a, a house of cards ready to collapse. And I'm just looking at all the projects they've backed. And I'm going to start naming them. Ave, Avalanche, Luna, WorldCoin, BlockFi, Derrybit, Ethereum, Polkadot, Solana, Woo Network. Half of them, I have no fucking clue what the hell they are. The other half, I know they're scams. So it was just a matter of time before this thing collapsed. And we just had the unwinding from Luna and it just it dragged it all down. So I'm, I'm not surprised. A lot of people aren't surprised. This shit was just, it was bound to happen. It's, I, I just, I'm shocked it took this long. That's the reality. I'm fucking shocked it took this long. Yeah, I don't love that it happened. But what I do like is that you can't do fractional reserve banking in a Bitcoin system. It just doesn't work. And this is the the someone on Twitter a, a month back was like, what's the the tweet was, what's one thing that's a scam, but it's commonly accepted these days. So no one, no one thinks it is no one, you know, and I said fractional reserve banking because that is a scam because if everyone tries to take their reserves at once, the system's going to completely collapse. So the fact that we're now seeing yeah, Bitcoin price was down. That's not ideal. You know, anyone who had a DCA going or I think even Sailor, I mean, Sailor, Sailor was buying Bitcoin at 50,000, maybe even 60,000. So he's lost money on it and he's underwater on his Bitcoin buys. Um, but 
the the problem is that we can't the the, the foundation of the system that we build um, for to replace this current system needs to be incredibly strong. The fact that it, it currently has identified extremely bad actors and purged them of the system and we keep on rolling, to me, incredibly positive sign, incredibly bullish. And yeah, maybe it's going to be even worse the next time, like NFTs might be worse than ICOs, but probably the same thing is going to happen that Bitcoin, it's going to survive it and it's going to come out stronger. So yeah, don't love to see it happening, but do love to see that we keep on rolling from here. And I have to just ask something of everybody here because we touched upon Sailor and his buyings and um, we can't pass this opportunity about talking about El Salvador and Bukele. I want to hear what everybody thinks about what's happening over there because there's so far underwater. I know Joey has talked a little bit about Bukele, but I, I want to hear what uh, Gandalf and SB and Brandon have to say about them. So, yeah. I, I, call, I called it when he was tweeting like, oh, El Salvador just bought the dip. I was like, sure. You know, and then because it was like, I think he was tweeting, he like bought the dip at 44 and then it went down to 38. It's like, did you still buy the dip or not? <laughs> he should have DCA'd. Well, I mean, I don't know if you saw, like he bought like, what was it, like 80 Bitcoin the other day or he tweeted it out and he kind of had like a DCA, it looked like going. Uh, he just straight up posted, it looks like he's just buying them straight off his phone. So he's like everybody else. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, everybody's like, you know, we, we've got the, the Mike Greens and, and everybody else kind of ripping on them. I know Joey went on a little rant on there, but I think short term it's really easy to look at it and say it's a bad transition right because they got in probably close to the peak and now it's down like 3x since then but you know at the end of the day it doesn't take uh you know you're not going to turn around a country that's already a third world country in a year right so i think it's going to take time and it, i think the long-term benefits outweigh the short-term trials and tribulations and so, sure, like, I mean, they had to buckle up and, you know, Bukele seems to be a Bitcoiner and he kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote, like Gandalf said, buys the dip. And anytime he sees like a good buying opportunity, he's investing. I think it's kind of like, you know, Michael Saylor. It, he's just got to keep going in. And if, you know, he sees an opportunity that he thinks is a good like smash buy opportunity, he's got to do it. And I think, you know, you're preparing yourself for for long term, right? Because at the end of the day, I think Bukele knows that um, that guy's no shit. He does no shit. He put up so? a he put up a fucking Lego model of a city with a Bitcoin B in the middle. This guy doesn't know shit. He yeah, doesn't know shit. That's marketing, man. I mean, holy like, fuck, Brandon. This guy's the leader of a country, man. You know, yeah, like he's got a problem with he's got a problem with gangs. He's, he's he's talking about mining with volcano energy. Like, has he done any of that stuff? Has there yeah, been anything except the drone they video are mining. of the volcano? They, are, they do have a, f a few hundred miners. They got okay. So okay, so he achieved he achieved that. That was uh, yeah. The 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 Bitcoin dip tweets like I I cannot think of a time that someone tweeted out that they bought the Bitcoin dip like a high profile person where it was a good idea. Yeah, but you don't think that this this is some sort of marketing tactic for El Salvador too? Like, I mean, do you think like if El Salvador didn't 
make Bitcoin legal tender that, you know, a massive amounts of people would go visiting that country this year that that wouldn't have previously. People are talking about potentially moving there that are Bitcoiners because of, you know, Bitcoin being legal tender. Uh, El Zante is getting so much publicity. Like, okay, I get it that it's, it's a Lego thing at the end of the day, but it's also like, He's a third. He's like the ruler of a third world country that you know is riddled by gangs and other things. Like you still, you got to market it right because like it's from all all uh, you know accounts. It seems like it's a beautiful place. I've never been, but like I, before Bitcoin was legal tender there, I as an American had no desire to ever go to El Salvador. Like I would have gone to you know Aruba, Bora Bora, like all these places that you hear about are really nice travel destinations. And I would have never considered going to El Salvador, but now like with it as legal tender, like maybe I'll go to a conference down there or there'll be some other things that will happen in El Salvador where I'll go visit Bitcoin Beach. So like I get what you're saying, like it's all kind of fluff, but at the end of the day, like a lot of stuff that's kind of around Bitcoin too is kind of fluff, don't you think? Like it's not just El Salvador. It's been a net positive, I I think, but uh, well, I, okay, I put it this way. Who would you rather ha have as your president? Brandon, uh, Fidel Castro, <laughs> as in Justin Trudeau, or Bukele. Oh, no. I would, if I had to, I would pick Bukele. Same. Yeah. I mean, okay. If we, if we set the, you know, like, you know, the, the bar, e even, even like world champion limbo experts couldn't get under a bar that low. Okay, fine. Sure. But if we start picking like reasonably successful, like, you know, who would you rather have as your president? You could pick any number of like red state governors, and and you, they'd all be above Bukele. Like if you pick the guys, but you they're just not pick, president. Like, sure. I'm picking between actual current state prime state leaders. President. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Amongst okay, the I, ones I who it. made it, I get it. And like to your point, Brandon, about like whether or not all, a lot of stuff in Bitcoin is fluff. Like yeah, I think we just talked about how Mallers has kind of been fluff lately, and there's a couple other big players in the space on Twitter who are fluffing and all this other stuff, right? But the the point is like he's he's painted himself. I think as you know, the Bitcoin president wants to paint himself as the Bitcoin country. These are designations that you know no one can bestow upon you. There's no Bitcoin committee who's going to tell tell everyone that you're the guy, you're the the pillar. But the community, I think, much the same as they've given Mallers a pass, has given this guy a pass too. That's all I would say. More or less, there's been very little criticism about Bukele's ideas. Uh, the uh, progress on a lot of these Bitcoin things a year later. Um, you know, SB, you could talk about the the likelihood of default in January when I think a lot of their their stuff comes due, but or January, February. I don't know, man. Time will tell, of course. Like, we're just kicking the can here. But um, to me, there's better places to spend your time than pumping this guy's tires, I think, if you're a Bitcoiner. Yeah, can I say that my the jury is still out because to your point joey it's january 24th 2023 he's got 800 million dollars of bonds coming due currently cannot refinance those so the rest of the bonds beyond that one are in the 30 dollar price so you can't refinance that that means it's distressed so yeah i think look i've i've been saying that i want him to show the example of a third world country that has historically relied on the World Bank and the IMF and all of these parasitic organizations. I want the example of him going around them. And if he can use Bitcoin to do that, that sets this incredible example up 
for all of those countries that visited there for the financial inclusion summit where they have the talks in Bitcoin. This this has such potential for the future. So I'm I'm very hopeful of that in the future, although I'm I, I do concede that there hasn't been that much so far. So understanding that they previously said they were going to sell the bonds and they haven't done that yet. So I'm the jury's still out for me. I'm waiting until we get to January or before then. But certainly if if he if they can actually raise this volcano bond, start mining, start getting revenue that way, and somehow not use the IMF and World Bank and not get extorted, I think this could be this could be a watershed moment for Bitcoin. So maybe I'm being too optimistic, but certainly if they don't use Bitcoin, they're going to have to do something because the current situation means that they probably can't pay that bond back unless they've got some 800 million bucks that we don't know of somewhere. <laughs> All right. El Salvador um, coin coming soon. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> don't say it. Bitcoin city coin. <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? I mean, like, uh, I don't want to get into it, but I know that CAR, uh, the Central African Republic, is also developing their own uh, coin, kind of similar to the Miami coin idea. I had Paco uh, run with outrun with Bitcoin on, and he kind of gave us a little insider knowledge there. So um, it, it, it hopefully it doesn't happen, but, you know, uh, we shall see. Uh, I want to wrap it up with one last story. So Celsius is in, uh, you know, a lawsuit right now uh, going through or not lawsuit, but uh, going through uh, Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And in that, uh, their lawyers have claimed that users have gave up their right, their legal rights to Bitcoin by putting it on an exchange. So, you know, Bitcoin maxis have kind of been screaming this, you know, since I kind of got into Bitcoin in, in 2017 of uh, not your keys, not your coins. But uh, what do you guys think about, I guess, overall view of exchanges as a whole and a lot of these like lending and staking services? Like, do you think that there's still going to be a place for them? Like there's, I mean, there's always going to be people that are going to risk it, in my opinion. Um, but do you think like they're just going to keep running out of money and it's just going to keep being these things where it's like Celsius, BlockFi and what have you, and they just shoot up immediately during bull markets then during bear markets crash and burn or do you think that uh you know those services are kind of here to stay uh i would like to hear everybody's kind of view. Uh, let's start off with gandalf i want to hear uh gandalf's view on this one so do, the question is do i think that block like services like BlockFi and celsius will continue to exist or or like those specific companies or just the type of activity they do the type of activity and exchanges as a whole I think as long as there's greed, there's going to be people who uh, there's these things are going to exist, whether it's, you know, BitConnect or BlockFi or Celsius or whatever the next the next company that comes along uh, and with with some personality or some story that people believe. Uh, yeah, they'll exist forever. All right, Joey, Len uh, and SB. Uh, I'll just say, you know, full disclosure, we obviously have a lender um, like a, a, a yield platform is a sponsor. Ledin is a sponsor of our show. I think if you look at BlockFi, Celsius, and you know Ledin by comparison, I, I've heard Zach Prince now on a number of podcasts, chiefly uh, the Animal Spirits podcast with uh, Batnick and Ben Carlson. They've had him on a bunch. They had him on again today. I listened to the whole thing, and I have not once yet heard uh, Prince say that the cause of BlockFi's implosion was his poor risk management procedures 
the way he treats his client's money as his own and tries to make yield and get rich while only giving his clients a little bit of that on the back end. Until, until there's accountability for these people, then it's going to continue to Gandalf's point. There's always going to be greed. I'll, I'll add one more thing. The only reason that SBF didn't buy Celsius or try and take that platform on is because probably the, the balance sheet was too distressed and the platform as it was constructed was just too far gone. BlockFi was fortunate that their balance sheet wasn't completely FUBAR. Uh, and so SBF took them on under very favorable terms, I might add. Uh, again, Zach Prince has not discussed the, the really the term sheet on that. Um, well, I'm going to call it an acquisition. Uh, and, and he probably won't because it's, it would just scare so many of the clients away. Like he, he really probably took, uh, took Prince and, and BlockFi for a ride. Then I look at Ledin. Uh, and I said this on our show, you know, while the while the BlockFi social team is writing Reddit posts at three in the morning, trying to convince people not to pull their stuff off of exchanges and talking about this kind of stuff, uh, Mario Gibney, who's the lead-in uh, uh, community director, uh, was on our show shooting the shit about maximalism and going on a European vacation. That's the difference between a good company and a bad company. Whether or not Zach Prince calls you at three in the morning and tells you you, you need to cook up a post and not use the word rug pull uh, and try and put people at ease or going overseas and, uh, enjoying a nice glass of red wine, which company do you want to invest with? Right. Which company do you want to hold your Bitcoin? There's always risk. Everyone takes risk on these platforms, um, informed risk and informed, uh, risk, um, minimalization practices by the platforms is really where your bread is buttered. And those guys didn't have it. And in my opinion, BlockFi still doesn't have it. Prince still refuses to admit that it was his fault. And so it tells me they're probably not going to change. Yeah, one thing Zach Popper, we'll call him, doesn't do, he doesn't mention the fact that the terms and conditions state when you put something on their platform, you're lending it to them. So it changes the relationship of your ownership of that asset that you're putting on their platform. And will they continue to exist? Yeah, as long as DeFi continues to exist. DeFi is the underlying product that they're trying to shill. These platforms are just a front for that. As long as DeFi exists and people are trying to use DeFi to enrich themselves in one way or another, these products like BlockFi, Celsius, Voyager, you name it, they're going to be around and they're going to keep, keep trying to make themselves rich in the process. So it's all just a front for DeFi. If DeFi is something that people want to use, these products are going to be around, unfortunately, and they're going to continually rug pull people moving forward. SB, bring us in the closer. Yeah, I'll finish with venture capital got so excited about these companies. And if you look at the investors of BlockFi, so many big ones, Tiger Global, Pump, Pomp Investments got in there. He led around Bain Capital, I, I believe. So these were just these huge investors. And if you think about it, we had this incredible bull run in the NASDAQ for, for a decade. And then as that was kind of finally... Uh, being attacked by the Fed for the first time when they were raising rates. It was like one last grasp. Let's invest in some of these crypto lending companies. And so BlockFi ballooned to this ridiculous valuation. So I think in order to get a BlockFi in the next cycle, someone has to have a business plan that sells these crypto dreams. And I don't know what that is yet because obviously the current business plan that all of these companies like BlockFi wanted to get into that those didn't work so it, you know if you're asking me if this stuff's going to continue in the future i think yeah bad businesses will get funded i just don't know what angle um these companies are going to sell to the vcs but 
are there going to be VCs in the future funding this kind of stuff? Sure. Although I do think that if you're a tiger or somebody like that and you just got completely burned, I think their public equity fund is down 50% plus. And if you add in the VC investments, it's going to be even worse this year. So they're going to have to think twice about when they fund it. But, you know, if you're an A16Z and you've got unlimited funding, essentially, will you will you fund some of this stuff in the future? Absolutely. So I think it will continue. And it's it's naturally, I think maybe safety and says this, but any asset that rises as quickly as Bitcoin, it's going to attract scammers, it's going to attract rent seekers. So it's just going to be a function of it's going to be a function of where we're currently at in terms of our economy and our society and how we run. And we have these kinds of people and these kinds of business plans. And hopefully when we are on that Bitcoin standard, we don't have these. But when we're in that in between, they're going to mix together and you're going to get some BS like we had with BlockFi. But ultimately, am I worried about this for 5, 10, 15 years out for Bitcoin's health? Absolutely not. Exactly. Yeah, I love it. All right. I think that's a great explanation from all you guys. And I think a good place to wrap it up. Um, so you guys have been very generous with your time. Uh, we'll have to do this again as we as we have this chat. So why don't we kind of go round table and tell everybody where they can find you and what, what you guys all got going on. We'll start with SB, then we'll go Joey and Len and uh, Gandalf, you can wrap us up. Yeah, I'm SB. I'm one half of the Woke Antidote podcast, and it's pretty self-explanatory. There is a lot of wokeness out there. And we cover it, we laugh about it, we do some societal deep dives, and we really try to, we want to bring you some programming that you don't get anywhere else. And we want to tell it like it is and maybe offer some theories about how to actually improve society because there's not nearly enough of that going on these days. So if anyone out there is sick of the wokeness that is seeping in everywhere, um, come check out our pod. So at The Woke Antidote on Twitter, and we do we do around a pod a week, sometimes more than that. But yeah. Had a blast. Thanks for having us today. Great stuff. And yeah, everybody who hasn't checked it out already should definitely check that out. They uh, bring their own twist to everything and it's awesome. So we got SB and TB who couldn't join us today, but uh, they bring some unique insights from two different sectors of uh, you know businesses and things like that too. So Joey, Len, what you guys got going on? Len, give the outro, buddy. I'm going to do this Brandon style, old school Brandon. It's going to be a 10 hour outro. No, <laughs> check us out, the Canadian Bitcoiners. You could find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. I'd recommend check out Fountain, where you could earn Satoshis simply by listening to us and your other favorite podcasts. It's a great place to earn sats and to support a Bitcoin product at the same time. And yeah, Joey and I, we chat about Bitcoin and Bitcoin related news, and we try to put a Canadian spin on it. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else to add to that, Joey. Anything you want to? throw in there sounds great buddy come watch us mondays and wednesdays that's it mm -hmm. there you go and yeah check out fountain if you haven't uh my birthday is on saturday i've mentioned it before so if you want to if you want to boost my podcast and send me some extra satoshis on there uh you know I'm, I'm not just throwing it out there just to you know throw it out there but you guys should definitely do that all right and gandalf to uh round it up uh what you got going on for us buddy so yeah i um I, I work in the uh, propaganda department at uh, Brains, which is a <laughs> Bitcoin mining tools company. And uh, we're renaming the legendary slush pool. Uh, that it's the oldest, oldest running Bitcoin mining pool. Um, Brains has been operating it since 2013. And um, we're sort of unifying all of our products and services under the, uh, under the Brains brand. 
Uh, so uh, Slush Pool is going to be renamed Brains Pool in se- from September, uh, which is exciting. And uh, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at BTC Gandalf. Awesome. Are you guys going to be at uh, Mining Disrupt next week in Miami? Yeah, um, I'm not going to be there, but um, some of the team is going to be there. I'll be at uh, I'll be at Bitblockboom and uh, Riga and Austria and El Salvador <laughs> and LA. Oh, and Amsterdam. Damn, my man. Yeah, let's Old go. Traveler. That's awesome. Go. Well, I will be at I, I will be at Mining Disrupt as well. So I'll be uh, joining up the Brains team up there. Just kind of come by and say hi. Um, so yeah, if anybody's going to be there. Be sure to uh, shoot me a DM or a tweet or something like that, and we can meet up for a beer, coffee, or whatever. And, uh, yeah, that's it from the chat. First Bitcoin mastermind in the books. Thanks for uh, having us, dude. Yeah, it was killer, man. That was fun. Yeah.